So let's pick up in verse 17. You might remember, as we were in chapter 31, that we had been talking about Jacob and, you know, this idea that he was going to flee, right? He was going to go back because he had known many times that he had already received from the Lord that he was to leave and go back to his, his home country where he was supposed to be. And the thing that was interesting is many of us, I think, the Lord has at times in our lives told us when we were supposed to stop or go or wait on him and and sometimes we step forward and, and, and something happens and we might, I don't know, we get nervous or we might, Lord, is that really you? Do you want me to do this? Well, Jacob, he knew for certain that the Lord had called him to go back home. He was not to stay in that land. I mean, his mother, when she had given him to go to that land, remember, she thought it was going to be for days or weeks. Kind of like, you know, when his father Isaac went over there or met his wife, I should say, Rebecca, when she came and he met her and was waiting for her to come, you know, his servant Eleazar was only over there for a matter of a week or less. And to think that Rebecca would never see her son alive again. She died waiting for his return 20 plus years later or more before he actually returns back to his homeland there. So as we read this tonight, it's, it's just something the Lord's pressing on my heart. If God is telling us to wait or to go, let's not second guess God. Let's, let's follow, let's be obedient, and let's trust in his mercy. So let's pick up in verse 17 here. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padamaram. You might remember at this time, numerous livestock. God had blessed him so abundantly. No matter what he touched, whether he put the, uh, the bark in the water trough and it would change to the speckled animal, and then diff- 10 different times, Laban changes the agreement. Well, then give me speckled animals. Well, then give me purebreds. You know, give me either way. And it didn't matter. Either way, God was blessing Jacob. And he was building this, and he was actually taking away from Laban because what was Laban doing? He was being disingenuous. He was, he was actually living up to Jacob's name, the heel catcher, being a trickster, right? So he says, And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Pad and Ram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the house idols that were her father's. Now, I don't know about you. If you can steal a god probably not the right God, right? If you can take your God and put him in your pocket and steal him, that's probably a bad sign. That's probably something that's not right. But, but she, Rachel here, I mean, she's been with Jacob for 20 years. She understands that he's prayed to God and he's talked to the Lord that way, but she, she's still not there yet. She, you know, Leah, we, we have good reason to believe Leah was a believer because she had said, even I'll name my son Reuben, right? I'll name, you know, godly names and what it was supposed to be. But but, you know, Rachel, on the other hand here, she's still caught up in this. I mean, she's, she's grabbing her household idols and she puts it in her father's. Now, at that time, it's, it's also important that, you know, if you would have taken the Baals, and we believe these were the Baals, these idols that they would have had, the, the sentence, if you were caught with them, was death. It was death. It was that simple. There was no, you know, well, you got to slap on the wrist or cut your hand. You were killed. And what these idols were supposed to represent, and there was, a, there was many different idols, idols for fertility, idols for weather, other, you know, idols for well-being, um, you know, idols for, you know, wheat in the ground. I mean, literally everything you could think of an idol in, they had made idols out of. And yet they're worshiping the living God, and yet they're still carrying these idols around. Now fast forward thousands of years later, we don't ever do that, right? 
We don't, we don't carry the idol of mammon, money. We don't you know, carry the idol of even our physical health as security. You know, we're feeling good, things are well. Must be security in that, right? It's amazing how we can place things in our lives as idols. Sometimes we don't even know that we do it. We, we find our source of strength in those things and security. And when we begin to do that, we stop walking with the Lord and we begun trusting in our own strength. And that's what God is showing here. He's showing that Rachel still at this point, she's still trusting in herself. And she's not learning to lean on God. And I, as I said many years later, you know, thousands of years, I, I imagine there's some of us here today that are still doing that same thing. You don't want a God that you can put in your pocket. You don't want a God that you can possess. You want the living God, Jesus Christ. There's no one else. There's none other. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Liban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Liban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Now by this point, scholars estimate you would have had a 50-mile head start. Okay, remember, the, you know, they're not getting in the Jeep uh, Cherokee and, you know, this is on foot. 50 miles is quite a head start on foot. But you also have to remember that Jacob, when he's leaving, he's leaving what? Leah and Rachel and essentially the 12 tribes, the kids. So he's got a huge following that's coming with him. So they're not going to travel as quick. And we're going to see that Laban is going to catch up to him in a moment. Then he took his brethren with him. Laban did, pursued him for seven days, so almost a seven-day journey to catch up, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. He's, he's moving quick here, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have the company of his wives. He doesn't have the company of anything else. He's just motoring. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Please underline that in your Bibles. This is very important because Laban's without excuse, He's going to chase after, and the reason that he's going to chase after his children or his grandchildren like that, he's going to say, you stole something from my house. And what is he going to say you stole? The idols. And yet we see the living God comes to him in a dream. This wasn't a matter of I didn't know or I don't understand. This was rebellion in heart. He met with the living God, and, and yet he was still chasing after the idols in his life. Now, if that can happen to Laban, can it happen to us? It can happen to us. We've got to be on guard against that. It says, but, but God came to him, right? The Syrian in a dream and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. Jacob's mine is what God is saying. Jacob is mine. Even in Jacob's defiance, God still honors his commandments, his statutes, and his promises. And he does that for you and I. No matter what's going on in our lives, we are not judged once we're born again believers in Christ. It's not works-based. It's grace. It's mercy. It's love. It's compassion. We blow it, don't we? We blow it at times. But that doesn't, God doesn't withhold his love like that. He's not some type of wicked you know, stepfather that's like, I'm going to get even with you. So many people have a wrong understanding of God. And somehow that God's going God's gonna to try to, well, you, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't obey me. You didn't do it the way I want. So now I'm going to twist. I'm going to do this to you. You know, that's why often when something happens, many Christians, when, 
when they get sick or something happens in their lives, what's one of the first questions they ask? Why? Lord, why are you allowing this happen to me? That's the wrong question, Christian. That's the wrong question. Because it means that we have a wrong understanding of God. Our understanding of God is a God of love and mercy. There's nothing like him. He's a, he's a righteous judge. He doesn't show partiality in any way. James, the book of James tells us that. He shows no partiality whether you're poor, rich, handsome, not so handsome. God loves you right where you are and he'll meet you right where you are because that's the God we serve. Amen? That's the God we serve. But God came to him and he, he said, don't do, you know, neither good nor bad here. So verse 25, Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brother pitched his in the, pitched in the mountains of Gilead. In other words, they're camping out together here. Can you imagine that conversation? And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Now, this is interesting. Now, I don't know if he says this with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here, but as you read this in verse 20, he says, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me, for I might have sent you away with joy and song, right? How many times did Jacob try to get away and Laban came back and said, no, 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 if you would stay with me another five years, right, you know? And now all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, I would have had a party. It would have been great. I'd have, I'd have put up a pinata. We'd have hit the pinata. Yeah, it would have been a Jacob pinata, right? I mean, that's what it would have been. And he says, and you do not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters now that you have done foolishly and so doing? In other words, what did you do? Why did you go away and leave me as though you were a stranger, as though you were fleeing in some ways? In verse 29, is it in the power to do it is in my power to do you harm. Isn't that interesting? Laban met with the Lord. The Lord looked down at Laban. I have no, I have no doubt at this point. Laban is all talk. He's going, you know, I have it in my power. Laban, you have nothing in your power. God is controlling every circumstance to the point of he even came to you in a dream to warn you. Don't touch my servant Jacob. Don't say anything good. Don't say anything bad. Do nothing. And I think that's interesting because Laban's going to play tough here, and then he's going to use a conjunction, right? And he's going to say, but, but, as though Laban gets the credit, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you are, and now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Can you imagine? After visiting with the living God, he's worried about these these ornaments, these things that are made of hands, wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn. But again, how many of us have gods in our lives? Maybe it's a, a car or a vehicle. Maybe it's a job. You find your, your security in a job. I, I don't know what it is for you, but, but all of us have to be, all of us have to examine our hearts. The Bible tells us that we are to examine our hearts, and if we would examine our hearts and cast judgment, that God himself would not need to. But are we spiritually mature? Are we, are we willing to allow the Lord to, to till up our heart? To show us the things that we don't want to see? The yucky places, the, the depths. It's there. And, and why we ask God to examine it is, Lord, show me so that I can repent of it. Because I want right relationship with you, Jesus. I want nothing to stand in the way between me and you. My God. 
Isn't that our heart's cry? That's our heart's cry. But Laban, he, he's, he's after these gods, these inanimate objects. He's putting all his trust in these things. In verse 31, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever do you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have is yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So we also see deceit within the marriage. We see sin within the marriage, and it's going to permeate from that point. Marriages are meant to be holy. It's God-ordained. It's something he's designed. One man and one woman. No one has the right to come in and redefine marriage, not the country or state you live in, not a government, not a lawyer, not a judge. The only one that can define something is the one that created it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. People can turn around and say, well, I feel like I'm a man or I feel like I'm a woman. Look, you can feel whatever you want to feel like. But biologically, God has made you a man and biologically, God has made you a woman and he has ordained it that it's one man and one woman for eternity, for life, I should say, excuse me, into eternity, right? We know that marriage ends when we we get to heaven that way. Angels are not given unto marriage, as the Bible teaches. Do we understand that? I think of our marriages here. It's no wonder so many marriages are under attack. You know, hard hearts. It's never one person. In any marriage counseling I ever do, it's always, hey, where am I not at? You know, I love it when guys and women come in the marriage counseling and they sit down and they say, you know, man, I'm blowing it. Here's where I'm missing it. Because I know that we can work with that. The Lord can strengthen that when everybody looks at themselves first and says, what am I missing? What am I blowing? Because that's selfless, not selfish. You see the difference there? And that's where sin permeates. When we're not others focused and we focus so much on ourselves and our own feelings and our emotions and our desires and we forget that we have a helpmate or a spouse. And again, it's God-ordained. It's designed by the Lord that way. So Rachel never had that conversation. She did what was right in her own eyes. And here Jacob now looks like a fool because he's saying, hey, look, if you find anything anywhere, go ahead and kill that. What if it was in Jacob's tent? And God had already deigned a promise that what? The seed, Messiah, would eventually come through that line, right? It would be through Leah, actually, the line of Judah. Then Jacob answered and said, as we read in verse 31, because I was afraid. What was Jacob afraid of? Was he afraid that he was, wives were going to, he's going to say, because you were going to steal my wives, you were going to take my wives or my kids from me? Every time we look at Jacob, Jacob's not worried about his wives and kids. Not that he didn't, he loved them, of course. But what is he going to do? As we read further on in the chapter, he's going to send them out ahead of him when he's going to go meet Harry right? Esau, right? His brother, you know, he's going to go send him out. He's going to turn around and send him out, right? And where's, where's he going to be back? He's going to be back wrestling with Jesus, right? Why is he afraid to go over? Because it's his skin. He's worried about his own skin. That's what's going on here. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. As I mentioned earlier, that was normal. That would have been the capital punishment. 
And Laban went into Jacob's tent and delay his tent. And the idea here in the Hebrews, you read this, as it connotes, is that it's a tearing apart. It's not like I went in and I gently moved objects. It's ripping everything apart here. Okay. And went into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them on the camel saddles. Again, you do not want gods that can fit in a saddle on your camel, right? We get that? I mean, I'm saying it jokingly, but you, you with me? You do not want gods that can fit in your pocket. We want the living God. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of woman is with me. It was that time of month is what, he, what she's saying here. And he searched but did not find the household idols. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob, now you gotta remember verse 36, he's 90 years old at this point. Remember that. He's about done. He's catered to Laban, he's listened to it, and now he's about to go, it's on. It's on. He's about to lose it. He's, he's gonna go postal here on Laban. Right? Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Enough, you know, in other words, he's burning with anger, he says here. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that you may judge between us both. These 20 years... I have been with you. Your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried. They're young, and, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. I mean, he's losing it. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. In other words, at that time, it would have, if you were a shepherd and you were you know, over the animals like that and one of the animals died on your watch, you were responsible to play, replace it. And he's saying, I never went to you to even ask you to do that. He said, I replaced it out of my own. I never even went to you and, and, and asked you and said something, you know, sorry, one of your, your, your lambs or one of your, your ewes died here. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. But he said, I took the loss. Jacob said, I took the loss on me. There I was in the day, the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus, I have been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters six years for your flock, and you have changed my wage 10 times. He's never going to let that go. He'll keep bringing that up. 10 times, right? Going back and forth. 10 times you've changed my wage. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has been my affliction and, my, and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now Laban's going to answer back. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. <laughs> Isn't Laban so presumptuous here, so arrogant? They're my children, they're my flock. It's nothing of the kind. Whose are they? They're the Lord's. We can presume that way today. This is mine. We have such a tight grip on things. We're not willing to let go because somehow we think we own it. It's always the Lord's. It's always been the Lord's. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it upon a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather the stones, and they took the stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Now they're going to have, you know, lunch. Laban called it Jagar Shaduth. 
but Jacob called it Gilead. It means heap of witness in Hebrew. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, his name was called Gilead. Also, we see down here in, in, in mitzvah, which means to do what? It means a watching in Hebrew. In other words, this is a watch. What, what, what uh, Jacob was saying here in Laban is he's saying not only have they made a heap of stones that's going to be a witness, but there would be a constant watch. And what is this watch going to be for? Because it's going to be almost as a, a demark, a demarcation point. You're not to go past this. Laban, you don't go past this towards where Jacob is, and Jacob, you don't go back to Pat on Ram. That's what's going to be set up here. And that's what they're establishing in this covenant. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. In other words, God is my witness. Now, Laban comes back here and he, he accuses him almost in, in verse 50 because Jacob has never done any of this. He says, if you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here's the heap and here's this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you. And you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. In other words, you stay where you are, I'll stay where I am, nobody gets hurt. Then the God of Abraham, or the, excuse me, the God of Abraham, verse 53, the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban rose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. I mean, can you imagine how stressful this must have been for him? I mean, here he is dealing with his father-in-law who he thought, you know, is, is he going to kill me? What's going to happen? If it wasn't for the Lord coming to Laban at night and giving him the dream of the vision... Isn't that awesome? No matter how much Jacob tried to strive, God was already working on his behalf and promises that way. He was already going ahead of him. He was preserving him. He was giving preservation. He, was, he, was, he told Jacob already, the seed will come from your line. Don't you believe me? And then even so much, he promises it. He then keeps his commandments and statutes and he does it for you and I. Have you ever had the Lord give you a word when you're in his, the word of God and he gives you something special just for you and you're, you're waiting on it? Lord, we think of Paul, 13 years he waited, right? He was meant, making tents. You know, what happened? Moses, 40 years. At that point, Moses had probably given up. He thought, you know, I'm just gonna keep you know, taking care of these animals. What's going on? But God always keeps his promises. If God's, got a plan and he does for each and every one of your lives, while you're in the will of God, you're invincible that way. Until such a time as God is done with, the, with that plan in your life. And guess what? It's okay. Because guess where we get to be? In the arms of Jesus. Where we belong anyway. I don't know of a single Christian that goes, not now. Can I, can I hit the pause? Maybe a little longer. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to be here a little longer and, and deal with the evil and wickedness because I, I so enjoy it. no. What do we pray every night? Lord Jesus, come. Lord Maranatha, right? Lord Jesus, come. So stressful, but it's not over. Because just as he thinks he's got it through and he's like, hey man, and isn't that the way just as you go through one circumstance, you're like, man, we're there. We're, we're, we made it. It's okay. And then there's Harry. He's right around the corner and he's, he's going to be coming with these 400 men, right? And, and, and Jacob, boy, he's going to, just when he thinks he's out, he's not. He's going to press into the Lord.
So verse, or chapter 32 here, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him 20 years later, just as he had met him originally. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanim, which means the two hosts or double camp. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. It's kissing up a little bit, right? But, but you, you, you know, if Jacob would have remembered God's promises, he wouldn't have been afraid. Because do you remember when Isaac gave the blessing? how he turned around and he said, well, there'll be a time, and actually Isaac had given that blessing to Esau, when he said, well, there'll be a time where it will be like a yoke upon your neck, but eventually that yoke will be taken off and there would be peace between the two brothers. And here we see it fulfilled. Several chapters later, we see that promise fulfilled. God does the same thing in our lives. We, we see little bits. We don't see the full movie. And we wonder why we can't figure it out. And we even get frustrated that we can't figure it out. Lord, why is this not happening? I mean, I, I told you what it should be. I asked you to bless it. What's wrong? You know, and we're surprised when things don't go the way that we think, we, we think it should or we, we understand we think we should. It's perfect here, though. So he, he turns around and he's going to take all these animals. He says, I have oxen, I have donkeys, flocks, male, you know, and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Oh my, I mean at this point Jacob's probably twitching in his seat there. So Jacob was greatly afraid and what was he? Distressed. Didn't God just come to Laban in a dream, in a vision for providence, for protection? And here we are, a short little bit after. He's making his way. Remember, this is a 450-mile journey back to his homeland from Paddan Aram. So this isn't just kind of going down the road. It's 450 miles. But he's making his way back. Why now? I, <clears throat> we can do that, can't we? Let's not pretend we've arrived. I mean, look to your left and look to your right for a moment. Have you not done that ever in your life? God has promised something in your life and you, you choose not to believe or you choose not to trust in those promises. And then what comes when we don't do that? Worry, anxiety, fear. Because we're not in control. Friend, none of us is in control of anything. Anxiety comes in those moments when we realize that we're not in control. We somehow believe all the other moments in our lives. We somehow have it together. We don't. And there's such a peace to letting that go. Because then you realize it's not striving. You also realize contentment. You realize trust. You realize grace and mercy and love. You learn what it is to stand with the armor of God on. And not feel like you're the conqueror. Or that you're even being conquered but you're a willing vessel to be used and served by the living God. And serve, I mean to say, you serve the Lord, in other words, as a willing vessel. That's where all, if we just did that, I mean, I, I get it. I just went through some health issues. I know what it is to have anxiety. 
I know what it is to have fear and stress. Lord, what is happening? But it's in those moments that you draw close to God and you realize how sweet and precious it is to be in his arms. And it's when you're not in control and when you realize he is because he always is that you find this promise, you find this rest, you find encouragement, and you find an overflow of just love and grace because that's what it is to humble ourselves and surrender before the living God. And that's his plan for each and every one of us. It's difficult to do. I don't stand up here as somebody that's, oh, I got it figured out. I don't. Last night about this time, I'm going, Lord, how's my voice going to hold up, Lord? How am I going to do it? God said, you never did it. How dare you? Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. So Jacob, greatly afraid and, afraid and distressed here, he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies, not taking chances here. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. He's still striving, conniving, trying to, trying to plan, trying to micromanage God. Well, how's this going to work? Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, I will deal well with you. Isn't this a beautiful prayer? We start to see the spiritual maturity of Jacob here. I mean, you look at the prayer of Jacob. Let's read that again. I mean, it's just so beautiful. It's genuine. It's true. It's not conniving. It's, he, he's not the old Jacob. I mean, yes, he still is. He's not been named Israel, right, yet. He's not commanded by God or governed by God yet. But he's still, he's still got this, just this gentleness or genuineness to him as he praises. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now have become com two companies. He's grateful. He's grateful for the increase here. That's what we see. He's grateful. He says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. His prayers protect me, O Lord. Haven't we prayed prayers like that? God, protect me. Protect my husband. Protect my child. Protect my grandchild, protect my wife, protect my friend, protect my boss, protect my president, protect the leaders in the government. Lord, have your way in us. It's a prayer of prayer protection, it's honesty, it's truth. We need more of that today. We need more genuine prayer like that today. Because that's where revivals start. It begins in our hearts. Each and every one of our hearts is where revival begins. He said, For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. He says, Remember your promises, O Lord. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present from Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. That's a total of 580 animals. That's a lot. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself. He kind of broke them up in groups as though they were continuous presents. One present being given after another like that. 
And he said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, third, and followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. And perhaps, maybe, he doesn't know. He'll accept me. Because he didn't ask the Lord. He, He prayed to the Lord, Lord, let me find favor with my brother. But God, what should I do? He actually, in that prayer, in some ways, asks God to do what? To bless Jacob's plan. It's a beautiful prayer until the point of where he says, oh, by the way, bless my plan, right? But again, we never do that, right? We, we never do that. So the present went over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. He's not going to be able to sleep. He's going to lay down. It reminds me of David when David talks about how in the Psalms he writes how his bed would toil and spin and he would just not find peace, contentment, or rest. In verse 22, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford, Jabod. That's interesting. That actually, if you're taking notes, that means the emptying. He's crossing over the ford of emptying. Very interesting because what's about to happen to Jacob? He's about to be emptied out. He's about to be broken and emptied. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them out over what he had. So he basically sends everything he has. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. You probably have a capital M there in your Bible talking about it's the angel of the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. It's a Christophany. And he wrestled with him until the breaking of Jay. And we see this, you know, this L in the way that it's going to compound here as we read on. It's used 40 times in this context to speak about uh, specifically how it's Jesus Christ. It's God using L as a verb. And we'll see that as we go on, but I just wanted to point out the construction. He's going to give him a new name. And his new name is going to be called Israel. And that means governed by God. Governed by God. It's fitting because... Where he's emptied, he can then be filled, just like you and I. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, right? So can you imagine he's sleeping? It's kind of late at night. He's laying there. All of a sudden, he feels this man grab him. It's Jesus, right? He feels Jesus grab him and puts him in a full Nelson. I don't know. Puts him in a headlock, you know, starts giving him a noogie or something. And he's wrestling with him. And, and, and I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, talk about a heart attack waiting to happen. I mean, Jacob's heart might right out of his chest there. I mean, and he's about to wrestle with him. And he's like, he can't win. He just keeps wrestling and wrestling. He says he did not prevail. Jesus actually couldn't get this guy to go, you know, what do you want him to do? Tap out. Anybody wrestling here? Any, have any wrestlers? What did you do when you were a wrestler, right? You could tap out if you get, you know, well, what's going on with Jacob? Tap out, Jacob. Give up. Allow the emptying of the, the surrender. Allow that to happen. Man, I, I look at this and I sit there and I go, you could insert Pastor Matt where you see Jacob. I mean, I'm serious with this, this idea of wrestling and not wanting to, it's like, oh, striving. And I sit there and I go, Lord, but you have better plans. 
What do you want to do? You want to have him governed by God. You want him to be governed. You want him to have your still small voice to lead you, to, to lead Jacob, right? And Jacob's so busy going, I don't want it. I don't need it. I want a blessing. I just want a blessing. And God's like, yeah, but Jacob, I am going to bless you because I'm going to bring you to the end of yourself. And if I have to kill you or dislodge your hip, I'll do it because I love you that much. Now, I'll tell you something, Christian, or friend, if you're not a believer, that's real love. You might be looking up at me going, whoa, that's a new definition of real love. Well, that's real love, not compromising, all right? We're to love those in sin, those that may be committing homosexuality. We're, if we don't love upon them, how will they ever get the gospel? If someone didn't love upon you and I, how would we know? Somebody had to love us and look past our sin and tell us that we were sinners and needed a Savior, Jesus Christ. But it's that compassion, not ever quitting or giving up on anybody like that. Jesus, I mean, we see that through the New Testament. We're in Mark. I mean, we talked about it. how many times were, were everybody else, the religious leaders, everybody else had given up on the people. But Jesus Christ never did. He never did. He had a pure heart and a heart of compassion. And many of us call ourselves Christians and go after his name, and yet we don't want to be around people like that. Or we don't want to talk to somebody like that because they... You know, they, they have a drinking problem or they, they, they have a problem with drugs and it's too messy. Look, it's messy. It is. I mean, we're, we're not any better. We're all sinners, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. The difference is we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to celebrate that tonight when we celebrate communion. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But we're no different there's nobody that's arrived here. I like that. There's nobody that's disqualified. So when he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, was out of joint. Can't imagine that. And he wrestled with him, continuing to wrestle with him at that point. Jacob trying to exhaust his will and God saying, no, real love is my will be done. Real love is my will be done. I like that. And he said, let me go. Jesus at this point is going, all right, you're a hardhead. Boy, you are stubborn. In Italian, we'd use the term testador. You're a hardhead, right? Let him go, you know? And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, heel catcher. I'm the trickster. <laughs> and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel meaning governed by God. Do you see how precious this is? Are you tracking with me here tonight? I mean, this is precious. How God brings them to this area, this J-book, which means this emptying. And through the emptying, through the refining salt, you, you ever take fire and throw salt in it? What does it do? Speckles, it fires up, it kind of, it jumps, right? It almost looks like the, the salt's jumping. And the, the, the Bible tells us that, that there's a refiner's fire and it's salted, and God allows that salt. What's salt also do? Purifies, keeps. And here we see that here. But this is no different. Just in this account, because we're back here thousands of years, it's no different than you and I today. 
We need to remember the joy and victory we have in Christ. This is no different than for you and I today. God is still in command and control, and he is still using the refiner's fire to season us, right? To get rid of that imperfection, the bronze. What does bronze always connote in Scripture? Judgment, sin, right? It's a refiner's fire. He heats it up, and what happens with the impurities? It's just like you and I. Do you see how beautiful this is? This is our God. This is what he's doing in our lives. Right now where you are here tonight, he's doing that in your life if you allow him. Some of you may be like Jacob. You're not willing to be called Israel yet, governed by God, but you are fighting him. And man, he'll, dis- he'll dislocate your hip. He's a good hip dislocator, right? I mean, and it doesn't have to be the hip, right? I mean, he can lay a smack down. He lays it down hot. I mean, we've been reading this word. He lays it down hot. You don't want to wrestle with the living God. You with me? You don't want to wrestle with the living God. Lay it down. Let it go. Enjoy the emptying. Enjoy the purifying. Enjoy the refining fire. It's, it's, when, you know, it's like when we read James chapter 1. Count it all joy for the trials that we go through. You read that the first time, you're like, that guy's a madman. That guy's out of his mind. Are you kidding me? Count it all a joy? I just lost my mom. I just lost my dad. I just got in a car accident. I'm in, you know, all these things are going on, and you want me to what? But through it all, you stop trusting in yourself, don't you? When you get to the brink, don't you stop trusting? I remember 9-11. I was down in New York City. We were down. I was down in New York City in 9-11 that day. I can remember my wife calling on the way back. We had T-Mobile back then. It was a GSM or whatever, one of the few phones that actually worked. I remember it looked like snowing because the building was hit and the snow and the taxi cab turned around, and I was the last train that got out, of, got out of Grand Central Station. And I remember getting on that train, and I'm looking back, and Lisa's calling me. We had a new baby at that time. Um, you know, Parker, I think, couldn't have been eight months or seven months or something like that. And I remember thinking, what has happened I've been on that train. I, I don't know how many years I worked. I would go into Manhattan every day, take the train in, take the train out. Some of you have been to Westchester. You know what I'm talking about. You'd go into Grand Central. You'd come out of Grand Central. And it's like herding cattle, man. Every day you're herding cattle. You're just going through the same thing every day. Never once did I see someone pray. Never once did I see someone humble themselves like that. I'll tell you what, that day when I looked around that train, I saw mothers on their knees crying and weeping because a husband was in that building or a child someone they loved. It was amazing what happens when we're faced and our circumstances change and all of a sudden our safety net's gone. Everything we think we understand and trust, it's ripped from us. And what do we do? There's no one there going, you know what, Allah, help me. No, God, Jesus Christ, help me. I didn't hear one person cry out to some Muhammad. I didn't hear somebody cry out to God of Abraham. We know that's Jehovah, right? We get it's our God. But you know what I'm saying? They weren't crying out to Abraham himself. People were crying out to Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. They know. The world knows. It's a hard heart. Just like it was with Pharaoh, as we'll read and we get up to Moses. It's a hard heart. If we proceed and understand that it's a heart issue, we approach the person totally different. Not as though they're ignorant or foolish, although there is foolishness there. 
but with sensitivity and love. You know, that day, I can remember looking around and taking into account what had just happened and crying out to the living God. Churches will fill then. This place, we wouldn't be able to fit people across the street. Every church was packed. Why? Because they knew they wanted the living God and they needed help. You see, I say this all to you to say, don't wait. Don't wait for something catastrophic to happen in your life. Even as a Christian, you may be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, but you can still choose to walk in your direction. You could still choose to harden your heart and have a will that isn't in obedience to the commandments and statutes of Jesus Christ. You can still do it like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. I tell you what, Frankie's not doing it his way today. Nobody's in hell having a party. You know, it's not an afterglow kind of, you know, moment. You know, people talk about it. It's a real place. Jesus talked about it. There's no punch bowl there. It's a place of torment. And God said that the narrow way, the narrow path, was the path that does not lead to destruction. That's real love. You, love, you have children, some of you, grandchildren. If they were going to go up and touch the stove, what would you tell them? Don't do it. Does that mean that you're being overly possessive and commanding of them? No. It means you're trying to protect them and love them. And that's what God's doing for you and I. So when we turn around and we, we, lit, we, we learn and we see these statues poured before us here in his holy word and we wrestle with him, it really is foolish because he's trying to help us. We're wrestling with the God that's trying to save our very soul and sanctify our soul. If you're not saved, save your soul. And if you are saved, sanctification, sanctify that soul through the refining process. But he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, that may seem odd. What do you mean he prevailed? Does that mean he won because he, was, he held out? Well, we need to turn to Hosea. Turn, turn to Hosea chapter 12, verse 3. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, it says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed, talking about Jesus Christ. But how did he prevail? It explains it right here. It says, He wept and sought favor from him. That's how he prevailed. He humbled himself. He wept and sought favor from him, and he found him in Bethel. What's Bethel mean? The house of God. That's how the favor was found. But if we didn't go to Hosea and look at that, we might just, in this context, think, well, man, he just wrestled with God, and God was like, all right, we'll do it your way. Absolutely not. Jacob got to the point of wrestling, and he began to weep. And he began to say, okay, Lord. And in that, he then prevailed. Do you see that? Are you following me in that? In that, in his weakness, he found strength in the Lord. In his weakness, he prevailed. God was made strong and the glory of God was evident. Because we don't look back and go, Jacob, you are some wrestler. No. We look back and say, God, you are so long-suffering that you will not give up or quit on any one of us, no matter how stubborn we are. Amen? 
That's our God. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, What is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed them there. He says, Look, it's on a need-to-know basis. And right now, you don't need to know. We don't always like that answer, right? You know, a lot of times we ask God, God, why? We, you know, read the book of Job. You get halfway through the book of Job and you go, would we really understand the why anyway? The why is so often the wrong question. This last week, my wife must have said that to me 10 times, if once. Wrong question. Wrong question. So Jacob called the name of the place Plenial. In other words, lived. It's literally the face of God. That's what it means. For I have seen God face to face in my life. Now, wait a minute. You're probably going, wait a minute. I thought no one's seen the face of God and lived. What face did they see? Jesus Christ, the second person, the man God, right? Not God the Father. No one's seen the face of God the Father and lived, as Scripture has told us. So just in case you get somebody that likes to come up and from an apologetic purpose go, see, see, the Bible's wrong, to go, no, see, see, you didn't read it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) so do it in love don't Bible thumping do it in love just as he crossed over Penaniel the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip there was a cost to this there's always a cost for the rest of his life he'll limp because he struggled and wrestled with God we don't have to it doesn't have to be that way Christian Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of the shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle of the shrank, right? The shrank there. 